1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Here on Working on Purpose, we're committed to realizing a world where work is enriching and a purposeful part of life. Leaders inspire people to realize their own greatness while contributing their passion, and business is elevated to unleashing spectacular cause in the world. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something that changes the way you think that you can immediately put to use. Much of the content we discuss on this program is a reflection of the work I do. So as you listen, if you catch a glimpse of anything I can do to help, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's talk about what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Dr. Neha sangwan the CEO and founder of Intuitive Intelligence. She is an internal medicine physician, international speaker, and corporate communication expert. Her private practice and corporate consulting focuses on empowering individuals, organizational leaders, and their teams with the tools for clear, effective communication. She's the author of Talk rx five steps to honest conversations that create connection health and happiness which we'll be talking about today on the show she she joined today from boston dr neha welcome to working on purpose
2: thank you elise glad to be here
1: i'm so glad i discovered you when i was on a conscious capitalism call and you presented some similar content and i said you have to come on my show and share your beautiful heart and soul with my listeners so thank you for saying yes
2: absolutely it's my honor
1: Oh, well, I loved reading your book, and I, I want to start, since I know way more about you than our than our listeners do, I want to start by orienting them just really how you got into the camp that you're in when you were practicing medicine full-time, and you were talking with your patients, and you discovered that when you inquired about the rest of their lives, that in addition to the physical ailments, the ailments that were presenting them at the hospital for your care, that they also reported other issues, like unresolved conflict, unmet expectations, misunderstandings, etc. So will you just share with us a bit about this journey of how you began thinking about your medical practice and what people needed from you in order to improve their health?
2: Yeah, I. I it really changed. Let me just start by saying this, changed the trajectory of how I think about medicine and how I think about life in the end. But, you know, as a doctor... First, I was an engineer, and I learned to solve complex problems in the physical world. Then I moved into engineering, and I applied those complex problem-solving skills to the human world and when our bodies break down. But what I realized was I thought I was doing something incredibly helpful, which I was, except a few years later, because there's something called continuity of care, I would be called back down again, and they'd say, Mr. Jones is in bed nine with another heart attack, Mm. And that absolutely perplexed me because I thought, I don't know if I'm solving Mr. Jones's problem. I think I may have just band-aided him through a crisis, but I wonder what's underneath what's happening here. So the engineer in me surfaced as a doctor. (laughs) So when I burned out myself, which was in 2004, I really had some time on my hands and I started researching, how could this be how could I? I've gone through all this education. I understand so much about the body. How could I have burned out? And I, in the research, it's very clear that more than 90% of all illness is caused or exacerbated by stress. <laughs> so what I started to do was once I stabilized my hospital patient's physical health, we got them through a stroke, a heart attack, a pneumonia, whatever it was, the night before I discharged them. I started asking them, what was at the root of their stress? And I did it in five questions. So I would pull out, back in those days, we had uh, prescription pads in our pockets and our white coats. So (laughs) I would pull out that pad of paper and I would start writing, you know, number one, why this? Why this part of your body? Why did this part of your body break down? Why your heart, not your left leg or your liver? Help me, help me understand what the messages your body's trying to give you. Question number two, why now? So why not three years ago? Why not two weeks from now? Now, why did your body in this moment need you to pay attention? Question three, since hindsight's 2020, what might you have missed along the way? Question four, what else needs to be healed in your life? And this one really opened up a lot. And question five, if you spoke from the heart, what would you say? And I was amazed. Every patient, I stopped counting after 2,700 in a row, every patient answered those questions. Every patient got an extra 20 to 30 minutes of me sitting with them and helping them solve the other issues in their life that were causing stress and giving them resources and ways to help them that I no longer ended up getting thank you cards and flowers and chocolates that said, thank you for helping my dad get through a heart attack. It was the actual patient themselves writing and saying, you're never going to believe this. I don't have headaches anymore. I don't, I don't suffer from insomnia. I'm off my medication for blood pressure. And when I started seeing that, I realized we were on to something pretty big. So that's really how it all happened, and that's how I started to realize that people's mental, emotional, social, and spiritual health really impacts their physical health. And now it's a big deal, right, with burnout, and uh, I had also burned out. And to me, when I say spiritual health, what I mean is the connection to meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. in your life, in Mm -hmm. your work, and in your life. That you get up every day in the morning and you believe that what you do matters. Mm -hmm. I'm completely aligned with that,
1: which is another reason I had to have you on. And get this, Dr. Nahab, we have um, our first interaction here in the W4CY chat room, which you've already answered the question, but let me just let you speak to him. Walter asks, does it really help to ask? And I think your 2,700 responses illustrate that it does. Yes, (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know, you know what they what they what they said to me was astounding. They really said, you know, how come you're the only doctor that's ever asked me these questions? Normally at this point in time, doctors say to me, Well, what you need to do is have a low cholesterol diet, and what you need to do is take this pill three times a day for the rest of your life, or once a day for the rest of your life, whatever the prescription is. And what I realized in that moment is that this was a sacred moment, Mm
0: -hmm. a sacred
2: moment between a patient who had just gone through something that scared them to death and a provider who helped them, you know, and their bodies supported them through that healing moment And in that place, they never thought they were going to be the 58-year-old status post heart attack or the 46-year-old with cancer or the 72-year-old after a stroke. And so everything they knew about the world had just crumbled. But instead of that being a negative thing, when you meet them with those questions, what ends up happening is it becomes an opening, Mm -hmm. an opening to a new way of thinking, a new way of being. And so that's how people transformed and changed. So I think of it as a sacred moment. And I believe we're actually in one right now, except it's a world heart attack. And we are actually uh, all experiencing, uh, you know, world events that are changing so quickly that we are all in this space of the world isn't as we knew it. We used to say, keep home at home and work at work. Now Mm -hmm. home is work. So if we we used to think that, you know, we never used to think that loving and caring for people meant you didn't hug them and you didn't visit them. Right. So as our world crumbles, some people will hold on to it dearly and just say, oh, I want it to get to go back to the way that it was. And other people will say, wow, if there's another way, show me the way I'm in
1: hmm.
2: Oh, Dr. Neha, I got to say two
1: things really quick. First, I, I did not realize how much our work parallels. Yes, I I don't work. Well, and I know that you don't necessarily practice medicine per se anymore. But I do live in that present sacred space with my clients. That is exactly and it is opening and clearing and it is around mindset and it is around spirituality and meaning and purpose. I did not realize how much we were aligned. I love that. And then secondly, what I want to say is, um, right, this is no surprise, right? No wonder I immediately got you when I heard you. Um, the second thing I want to say is that just what you're getting at this back end of this comment here, I am so aware that this pandemic has opened another clearing for us to be able to re-architect the world that we live in and that we absolutely work in, in our favor. Because I know that, you know, the Gallup organization says that 85% of the global population doesn't want to go to work on Monday morning. Hmm, why would that be? Um mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not working. So let's we've got a perfect opportunity right now to seize the moment and address these issues and create a workplace that people actually want to go to and that can thrive in. So I too see it as an as an opportunity and a clearing.
2: Wow. And you know, it also requires an up-leveling. It's like an upgrade to the human software of <laughs> who we are. Yeah, because I love we, that. If we came to this with the same thinking, the same level of awareness, the same consciousness as we did before this, and our job, you know, we think our job is to endure this, which is, you know, maybe watch Netflix nonstop or eat our favorite, you know, candy bars and endure this and hope that it goes away. We will have missed that sacred moment to elevate ourselves to the next level of what we could be and what we could co-create in this world. And everybody listening is obviously... In that latter camp, which is, hey, how can I learn? How can I better myself? How can I elevate uh, to the next level of me? Mm.
1: This is so yummy. I can't stand it. I love it. This is exactly (laughs) what I wanted for our conversation. Thank you. And I'm sure my listeners feel the same. Mm. Uh So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on Dr. Neha many reasons one you're just you're just a beautiful being in the world that every time you show up everyone's better for it. Um, And in addition to that you have such a distinctive intelligence and reach into the emotional sphere that I wanted to help presence for our listeners. So to that end, I think it makes sense at this point, since we're gonna be talking more more deeply about the subject of emotions. How do you define emotions?
2: Yeah, this is really important. You know, the example I just gave, which is keep home at home and work at work. We have lived on that premise as a way to control our environment, as a way to not allow the messiness that might take over a meeting that should only last 30 minutes and everybody's leaving exactly on time. So there's a way that we used emotions. Uh, We were not used emotions. We were afraid of them. So we tried to control them. But what I say is, Emotions are energy in motion.
0: Mm.
2: So they're not good, they're not bad. They're just an indication of how you're expect connecting to the experience of your life in this moment. Emotions are your GPS system. Would you ever tell someone to drive cross country but not not use a map and not use a GPS system? That's like telling someone in their life to live your life but don't show any emotion. Don't experience any emotion. So Earlier in our lives, there are times with the way that school is set up, uh, stresses are set up, that it was beneficial to override our body signals. I mean, I wouldn't have made it through residency and 36-hour shifts and, you know, all of these things if I didn't learn to override my body's signals and emotions, but what is absolutely certain is what has gotten us here will not get us where we're going, and so what if I You know, what if you thought about emotions as your body's earliest signals, like somebody giving you a clue, a clue that tells you how you're feeling, whether this aligns with your value, whether something seems seems a little off, whether it resonates deeply. Emotions, physical sensations in your body, they are the earliest signal you get that tells you in which direction you need and want to go. So not to listen to them allows your life to be directed very clearly by the outside world. I call that people leading from the outside in, and they're often like driftwood in the ocean. They kind of go whichever way the wind is blowing. But the goal with an emotional GPS fully intact and functioning is that you lead from the inside out, and you become a sailboat with a rudder. Of course it's influenced by the wind. But it's charting its own course.
1: Mm, I love that. What a great analogy. Um, I have another question I want to pose to you from the the portal. But before I get to that, just a sec, Manny, we'll be right there with you. Um, I, if you would say a little bit more about this notion of what happens when we do leave our emotions unexpressed, stuffed, or unacknowledged, or we try to numb them out, what happens? Mm-hmm.
2: So first of all, there's many ways we do it, and each person listening should be thinking of their own numbing strategies. Mine, so my signal is throat constriction. My throat starts to tense up. I start having to <coughs> clear my throat. My stomach's turning. I'm usually having a sinking feeling, and that usually means I'm disappointed, I'm upset, I'm holding back. Now, the ways that I numb it are, I used to have a sugar-caffeine strategy, a couple Bottles of Mountain Dew and a king size Snickers bar, you could get me through 36 hours. So, (laughs) I'm sorry, I read that in your book, too, and it just cracked me up. Yeah, well, listen, everybody comes up with their own unique strategy. So the first thing you need to know is there's physical signals that are making you uncomfortable or letting you know you're tired, and you're going to override them with a triple latte or something else. So know what the signals are, throat constriction, stomach turning. Then know what the numbing strategies are. Um then those will uh if you numb yourself out enough the f- the first time you'll wake up to your feelings they'll be incredibly intense but the way that you figure out your feelings is through physical sensations so those are the first indicators that let you know that you're for example mad for example excited for example you know thrilled confused jealous upset how do you know that? Because there's physical signals, your own physiology, your heart racing, stomach turning, muscles tightening. That's how you know. So if you're ignoring the physical signals in your body, you will not be able to get to your emotions. So when when you leave them unexpressed, stuffed stuff or acknowledged, yes, they're energy and motion. So the problem is not that you have feelings or that you're expressing them. That's never the problem. The, well I wouldn't say it's never the problem because how you express them does matter but the problem is not that you have certain feelings and that they flow through you. The problem is that they most people stuff them, don't acknowledge them and they get stuck in that feeling and that becomes a place they don't get out of. That's why you know, when you're, maybe you have some self-doubt, some fear, maybe it turns into loneliness, sadness, it starts, you're still not paying attention to it, it gets bigger, let's say it moves into, you know, you feeling upset, depressed, when you stay there, when it's, whatever's underneath that is unexpressed and not experienced fully, not addressed, That's when you start sinking in your emotion. That's where you get stuck. And so, whether it's grief, anger, sadness, right? You want to make sure that you welcome, I call it a family of emotions. Most experiences bring us not just one emotion, but multiple emotions. And so, what I say is invite that family of emotions to the table. Don't, don't negate any of them because that's where you get stuck. You're not willing to feel something. And that becomes uh, a fantasy if you think that that means it's somehow going to miraculously disappear. Because what it does is it lays latent. It's kind of like you shove something under the rug. Does that mean your house is clean? No, it means that it's sitting under the rug. And pretty soon after you keep doing that, there's like a bump under your rug. And then (laughs) you trip on it, right? So it just keeps getting bigger. And I think stuffing emotions is the equivalent of... Holding a beach ball, trying to hold a beach ball under the water in the deep end, that lactic acid builds up in your arm, it starts to hurt, it starts to hurt, and eventually that beach ball is going to come flying up at the most inopportune moment. And that's the same thing about emotions. Oh, my gosh.
1: Hold that thought, because we've got a few questions coming in about this. It's definitely heating up the the phone line here, Dr. Neha. Let's grab our sure. first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dr. Neha Sangwan of the Intuitive Intelligence, her private practice and corporate consulting focuses on empowering individuals, organizational leaders, and their teams with the tools for clear, effective communication. She addresses the root causes of stress, miscommunication, and interpersonal conflict, often healing chronic conditions such as headaches, insomnia, anxiety, and depression. She joins us today from Boston. We've been talking a bit about the world of emotions and how she really discovered their power. After the break, we'll continue the conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. And if you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Neha Sanguan. She's the CEO and founder of Intuitive Intelligence. She's an internal medicine physician, international speaker, and corporate communication expert. She is the author of Talk RX: Five Steps to Honest Conversation that create connection, health, and happiness. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So we've accumulated a few questions here, Dr. Nahal Let's just quickly address them because there's a little confusion so far as we continue and build up the conversation. Um, Patty, Hia, uh, Patty and Hia especially are wondering about, are you saying we should number our emotions? And of course, I know the answer is no. And then um, should we stuff our emotions or feel them out? So just to give them a, a response, how would you like to respond to that?
2: Sure. You know, at times in your life, um, when you're young, maybe you're not able you don't know how to express your emotions, or it's unsafe to do that because you got spanked, or if you're in a tough situation, I'm a doctor, I wanna be a doctor, and I need to go through 36 hours of taking care of patients, and uh, I don't know how to do that. There's systems set up in our world that are not ideal. And so sometimes, is it a survival mechanism that we use to stuff our emotions? Yes, it happens. But what I'm saying is that may be a short-term strategy, but it is going to hurt you in the long run. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, if it goes unaddressed, it will become a problem that surfaces in another way. It'll get more intense until it gets someone's attention. It will show up in your physical body as headaches. You'll get sick. It will undermine your immune system and your ability to sleep. So left unaddressed. So I'm acknowledging that there are times in our lives where I didn't know any better where I wasn't aware of this. And so I did use strategies to kind of help me get by. But I'm not saying that that's what you should do. I'm saying, for many of us, that may be a reality. But the question, the second part of your question, Elise, will you say it again for me?
1: Um, The second part of the question was, uh, should we stuff the emotion or feel them out was what he uh, is asking.
2: So it's really important to learn to honor your emotions and be able to feel them and for some people it's to cry it out for some people it's to journal it out for some people it's to have the conversation and say what you said and it at the party really upset me so sometimes it can be expressed in many different ways and there's healthy ways to do that and this is about learning how your unique expression of emotions can help you connect more deeply to yourself and to those around you.
1: Mm, Okay. And to that end, so there's a little bit of work to do and I love what you say in your book, Dr. Neha, when you remind us that, you know, we're very happy to reveal our opinions about the actions of others and give them advice, but I love how you say this, but I quote, how often are we willing to travel those 18 short inches from our heads to our hearts and talk about what we really feel and desire. So I think that's so important. So our listeners are here clearly looking, they're leaning into the phone and listening for answers for themselves. So there's a little bit of work to do to get present for that. So do you have a story that you can share with us that either illustrates that or how they came to the other side that would help the listeners?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I have a few. So Just a, um, just a let's few. Start with we'll start with one. Um, so, I, it reminds me of the day that I left my uh, traditional way of practicing medicine. Um, now I've moved upstream, so I don't do it at the crisis point in the hospital. Now I believe what I do is help people, and this is from my patients. What they said to me was, Dr. one, why was the price of meeting you and learning all these tools, a stroke, a heart attack, or a pneumonia? Why isn't someone like you out in the world 20 or 30 years ago helping me do this so that I didn't have to end up here in order to learn this. And so let me tell you about that day when I decided to give up my tenured partnership. Uh, I had So when you're a partner, when you're a physician partner in this practice, you're basically tenured in for life. No one can fire you. You're guaranteed a job. So... I walked in one day to, uh, they said, you know, in the ER, whatever bed it was, you know, there's a patient with a stroke, a 48-year-old woman with a stroke. When I came downstairs and I almost was going to walk in, I overheard her family, her children and husband, where's the doctor, mom's drooling, nobody's seen her yet, like, what's going on? And I could feel this just palpable stress and energy and panic going on inside. So I first had to take a nice deep breath myself. My heart started racing. My throat was constricting. I took a nice deep breath in, right? Because emotions can be contagious to the people you're around. How many times do you know you walk into a room that so mu- has so much angst or anger and you can feel it and you mm-hmm. weren't even there for mm-hmm. what just happened? So I took a nice deep breath. I walked in and I said, everybody, can, can you please sit down? Everybody needs to sit down. I am looking at the monitor, and what I see is your mother's heart rate. She just had a stroke. Uh, I could tell because of what the emergency room doctor had told me. She was drooling. Half of her face was drooling. Only 48 years old. And the monitors were showing uh, elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure. So what I always used to do is say, okay, I need to distinguish whether I need to give this person medications or this is panic emotion right like what's going on I need to separate whether it's purely physical or is this mental emotional social right well they had been re- leaning over their mother saying mom can't speak she's drooling oh my god there's no doctor here all these things and so my first thought was wow I don't this woman who is probably the one running this family and in control of everything Mm -hmm. is now laying in a bed and unable to respond as she watches those she loves Mm -hmm. completely panicked about her so I asked everybody please sit down I told them about something called guided imagery which you slow you basically focus on your breathing and you focus on your uh, imagery your mental where, where you're what you're thinking about and I said, we're going to all take some slow, deep breaths. I went over it and I asked the patient, could you squeeze my hand once if the answer is no? And could you squeeze my hand twice if you would like to try this body scan that I'd like to do to see if we can bring down your heart rate and your blood pressure naturally? So everybody's sitting down and she squeezes twice. She says, yes, I want to do this. I start them, I say, take a nice, slow, deep breath in. I start at the top of their head, move down to their forehead, their jaw, their neck, the chest, the belly down. And as I'm heading down to her feet, her legs and her feet, all, all the beeping monitors go off. They stop mm. beeping. And they opened their eyes. They all they all looked around like, what just happened? Nothing's beeping anymore. And I just said, okay, let's keep going. We We, went, we finished. And her heart rate and her blood pressure were just above normal. And I said to them, Wow, this is really an important moment for you because I don't need to give your mother medication that could sedate her, could prolong, mean, keeping her in the hospital. Now, what I realize is this was something that the environment itself was causing for her. And so, what will help her stay home when we're done with all of this? is your ability to be able to manage yourselves and know that you impact those you love and those that are around you. So it was this moment where they were in awe. They said, we really want to learn about this. We just want to take, and they had the best intentions, but they just didn't know what to do when everything they knew just crumbled. And so it's a very similar moment. And it's, you know, this, this experience of they started crying rather than being angry and upset. They said, we're just so worried about my mom. We just couldn't say it. We thought we needed to be strong and protect her. But really what we're realizing now is we just need to be with her and calm ourselves so that we can be present for her mm-hmm. and help her. So that was a really important moment where we got the fam- family to drop from their head and what they thought they needed to do, which is take over control right, to drop into their hearts, which was more of a sadness, devastation, disappointment, shock that this was happening. And then we also needed them to know that their mother, she may have changed in the few moments that we were in there, but she was going to meet them. She was going to meet this challenge. She was going to be able to do this. But it was a moment of trust, I think, that flipped for them. And they also realized that if they could be with their own emotions it would serve not only them, but it would also serve their mother. Oh, what a beautiful and
1: powerful example. It has so many applications there, Dr. Neha. Thank you. I wish we had more time to keep talking about this, but I want to get through a couple more things. Um, one sure. more thing before we we go on our next break, and that is, and this, Jeremy, by the way, is going to address one of your questions about how we can start to unstick ourselves So, you talk about in your book that there are literally dozens upon dozens of emotions that are available to us, but we tend to have just a few go-to that we experience, and you say that when we're ambiguous about what we feel, others fill in the blanks, probably like what was happening there in the hospital room, and then what happens is they start telling stories, and there's a lot of misunderstanding, and so... What you're suggesting, and I want you to speak to if you would, is having a variety of words to better describe our emotional states allows us to be clear in our communication and to listen to others in a way that depends, that deepens our our connection and saves time. So developing that vocabulary seems really, really important to me. Can you say more about how we can use that technique or that strategy?
2: Yeah, so your emotions, you nobody else knows what's going on for you. And most of the time, we don't know what's going on for ourselves, right? Right, And so that leads, that's that whole driftwood in the ocean going whichever way the wind blows and allowing our external world to uh, be the one that determines what happens next. When you recognize your physical sensations, like I want you to know that I did not understand that my, my throat constriction was alerting me. I was reading and learning about all these cancers and all these things that I was convinced I had a lump in my throat that was growing. I got put under anesthesia twice, twice, and had them look down to confirm for me that the shortness of breath I was feeling was not something physical. And so we have not learned as a society how to do this. We do not ch- teach our children to pay attention to their sensations their emotions to feel their emotions we say things like go in your room and don't come out until you have a smile on your face what what are you doing no shut that down you can't be angry you can't be sad whatever it is and so if you don't understand this please know that it's because we haven't grown up being taught this and so the beauty is now it's time Mm -hmm. so with the emotions it's absolutely true that you know emotions themselves there's a this would be a whole another show but basically things like understanding that when someone's tearful including yourself tears are not just tears tears could be tears of joy they could be tears of relief they could be tears of anger they could be tears of sadness so when you see somebody tearing up i don't want you to assume that you know why they're tearing up You may think they just got really sad, but you know what? They might have been touched by something you just said that reminds them of their favorite uncle.
1: Right. Would you hold yeah. that for, for just a second, Dr. Neha, because sure. I want to go into those. You do this so powerfully, and I want to cut for our last break, and I want to make sure people get that. So, um, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're in the air with Dr. Neha Sangwan of Intuitive Intelligence. Her private practice and corporate con- consulting focuses on empowering individuals, organizational leaders, and their teams with the tools for clear, effective communication. She joins us today from Boston. After the break, we're going to hear more about the different kinds of tears and also anger. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to working on purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Neha Sangwan. She's the CEO and founder of Intuitive Intelligence. She's an internal medicine physician, inter- international speaker, and corporate communications expert, and she's the author of Talk RX: Five Steps to Honest Conversations That Create Connection, Health, and Happiness. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So to, uh, one of the things that I think is so powerful about how you talk about this subject and what's in your book Dr. Neha is that you really really you know take the veil away around emotions and you really give us access to what they are and how we can start to feel them more deeply and intervene you know when to make sure that, that if, we're, if we're off track so would you share with us that that there are actually different chemicals that show up in those in those three different kinds of tears and what they mean
2: Absolutely. So, um, what's really important is anything we don't like or makes us uncomfortable, we basically try to control it, right? So tears, what do people think about it? There's a lot of judgment around tears. They think, you know, you're not allowed to feel tears or tears make you weak or whatever it is. But actually that just means that the person who's judging you for feeling those tears and expressing yourself is uncomfortable themselves in the presence of tears, it means nothing about you expressing those tears. Right. So science science definitely backs me up on this. So William Frey, who's a biochemist out of Minnesota, uh, he studied tears and he actually found that different kinds of tears have different composition. So there's three types. There's continuous tears, right? And those are the ones that you know keep your eyes moist. They keep you functioning, so you can keep your eyes open all day long. They. Your eyes also connect to your, the nasolacrimal duct, to your nose, and it keeps your nose moist as well. So those are called continuous tears. There's an antibacterial agent in there, and that's why you don't often get infections of the nose or the eyes. So that's called lysozyme. Now the second type of tears are, they arise in response to like dust or contacts, a foreign object, and they're called reflexive tears, the second type. And so, and even when you're cutting onions, right, that whole experience. So these tears are almost 100%, like 98% water, and they help the eye just flush out irritants. And this is what happens, you know, each morning if you're putting in your contacts. Now, the third type of tears is emotional tears. And emotional tears, tears that arise because you're touched by something, moved by something, saddened by a movie, upset about something, they actually have stress hormones in them. So the whole amazing piece of this is, this is your body's biological way of getting rid and expelling yourself of the stress hormone that's arising in you when you're feeling sad, upset, tearful. Mm -hmm. And so I just wonder, you know, how we come up with all these stories as humans to protect ourselves and make ourselves feel better and we stop each other because maybe it's inconvenient. Maybe it's uncomfortable. We stop each other from these biological experiences that are a natural part of our own physiology.
1: Mm. That gives us so much access, Dr. Neha. I so appreciate you distinguishing those kinds of tears and how they function, what they mean, and also helping our listeners understand how how we respond to somebody else's tears says more about ourselves than it says about them. That's very powerful. Um, and then there was something else I was gonna say. Oh, what I wanted to say is the way you're rendering this is like a work of art. It's like you're painting us a beautiful, gorgeous painting of ourselves as humanity and as a, a functioning being, and it's gorgeous. Thank you.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> it's just gorgeous. Okay, now so having said that, let's talk about anger. Um you talk about <laughs> it in the book, right? It's a perfect juxtaposition, right? Um you talk about it in the book as it's a strong emotion, but it's a mark will you distinguish anger for us like you did tears
2: so anger anger's not really anger right it's it's a secondary emotion and so anger is usually the mask covering up someone either being afraid or hurt or both so there's usually people who get angry even bullies in the world they're not bullying because they're so big and tough and strong they're bullying because there's something very tender and vulnerable that they are trying to protect fiercely. And so anger, you know, there's there's an intensity to it, right? It starts, you might be annoyed and then irritated. And then if it goes on more, you get frustrated. And then you're upset. And then you're angry. And then you're livid. And then there's hatred and rage, once again, this is that same experience I was talking to you about earlier, which is about staying, getting stuck in an emotion. And it doesn't go away. It just gets bigger. So some people have judgments about anger. They say it's out of control. Some people think it's powerful. They, think they, they feel puffed up when they, they're angry. You know, you need to know depending on who you are if you're the person who tends to use you know anger as your way to express yourself that's you know it's an it's one of your go-to emotions right pay attention to how the earlier signals around it if you are in the face of someone who gets angry and maybe you shut down or you physically remove yourself because it feels scary you need to know the physical signals that you're noticing louder voice banging of objects you know, I my favorite one is when someone says, you know, they don't use your first name anymore. It's like William Edward Haskell gets <laughs> down here this minute, right? There's there's clues to it, and what's really important too is that you always recognize when it's a safety issue. So anger is a different one because it can lead uh, to different places. There's domestic violence. There's you know places where you become physically unsafe. And that's the one thing I would tell our our listeners, which is, if that is ever the case for you, please abandon all communication tools that you're learning here and get yourself, remove yourself and get to safety. Mm-hmm. Because this is not what you use in in the moment that you feel physically unsafe.
1: Great way to distinguish that, Dr. Neha. So, so, so important.
2: Um, maybe, okay. let, me give, let me give them a quick turnaround, which is yeah, how please. you come home from anger. Right is through compassion and forgiveness, and I go through this all. Mm-hmm. I, th- I want to say it's chapter fourteen in my book, um, but it's anger. And uh, anger is, you know, healed through compassion and forgiveness. And I literally go through the steps to help you do that. So, by the way, let me
1: let me let me talk about this really quick. As I said to you in the email exchange we had today, Doctor Neha what you have created and what you've rendered in your book is so beautiful and tight and compelling and such an easy, delightful read. It's got the tools all in the back of of each of the chapters. It's just, it's incredibly tight and useful and a work of art. And I really want to acknowledge you for that as I'm writing my own book and trying so hard to find a way (laughs) to be concise and compelling like you are. So Uh definitely listeners, she's given you tools here. Um, we're getting so close to the end of time here. So let's do this. Um, I I think that what sh- the story that you talk about with your interaction in the book with Prince Abdul Aziz and his question about how to handle his daughter's emotions is such a powerful illustration of how emotions are so poorly misunderstood in their origination and what we can do about them. And it says... A lot about how we as leaders can help understand, support, and address how the emotions that people within our our, our followership feel. So, will you tell that magnificent story?
2: Sure. And the conversation was with Dr. Uh, Abdullah, who was running this conference, and I had gone to a medical conference in place of someone else. Someone my mentor had said, Neha, can you represent me? Can you represent my work in Saudi?" So there I was at this medical conference and. Dr. Abdullah was taking us to go falcon hunting with Prince Abdullah Aziz, which is, the whole thing was like out of a movie. And as right. we're, there were five of us in the car and we're, we're, you know, on our way to the Prince's uh, palace, I'm sitting in the middle back and then there's four men around me, right? One on either side, Prince Abdul, uh Dr. Abdullah is driving. Um, you know, this one's about, uh, and then there's another person in the front uh, seat he had asked me. This is about his daughter in tears. Is that the story you're talking about? Or are you talking yes. about the exchange? Yes. Yeah. Well, he wants, he was
1: worried about. Uh, maybe I'm confusing you with the characters. I'm so sorry. The one that I wanted okay. you to tell is where he's asking you to give you advice on how to help him. Oh, his uh, daughter. Well, his daughter's emotions.
2: Yes. Okay. This is the same one. So okay. we're now in the car on our way to see Prince Abdulaziz, and there's kind of, you know a little moment of silence in the car. We're driving, and he says to me well, Neha, it looks like we have a little bit of time. Could you please help me um, with my daughter? And I said, well, what seems to be wrong? Uh, And he said, well, um, she's very weak. And I I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, look at you. You're, You're a woman who comes, you know, to Saudi Arabia and you speak on communication in front of hundreds of people. And my daughter, whenever she gets nervous or upset, she cries and uh, she's very, she's very weak. Like we need, you know, I was hoping you could help her. And I took a moment in me, right? And I said, do you think right now is the best time for us to talk about this? Because I could see the other three men in the car, everybody looking forward, acting like they couldn't hear the conversation (laughs) that was (laughs) unfolding. And I said, are you sure right now is the right time? And he said, well, of course, let's talk about it right now. And I said, okay, because that's my whole thing. It's like you check in with someone, you give them a chance to say, maybe this isn't the right setting, but if they're willing to do it and they're okay with it, let's move forward. So I thought for a moment and I said, um, Dr. Abdullah, I have been with you and your family for the past seven days. You have orchestrated this incredible conference of medical professionals to educate your country. You are, I've spoken to the nurses, your team, physicians, they all revere you. And I've even spent many dinners this week with your family and they too revere you. So I'm wondering if when your daughter gets tearful, if it is one of the only times in the world uh, that you feel vulnerable and that, That's the place where you think she might be weak, but in fact, it might be the experience of weakness and vulnerability that you're feeling. And I am telling you, the longest 60 seconds of silence followed that answer. (laughs) And I I thought, either either someone's going to drop me off in the desert here, and I am (laughs) never coming home. But instead, you know, he surprised me. He said, you know, Neha, this is exactly right. I am an electrophysiologist, you know, he's a, he basically takes care of the heart rhythms of babies, right? Mm. A pediatric cardiologist and, um, and in almost every setting in his life, he was in charge. And he said, this is absolutely right. He said, will you please come back again and teach us about these emotions? Because I have a feeling they're driving everything and we're misunderstanding them. And so it was this moment where we really bonded and two years later, he had me come back again and uh, teach them again. So it was an incredible experience.
1: I think it so says so much about, one, the power of, of emotions, two, your fantastic ability to be able to communicate effectively with him in a way that landed just the way that it needed to and produced an incredible result in him. So there's that's why I wanted to really make sure that that story got told before we finished. And with that, here we are toward the very, very end of the show. Already, Dr. Neha, so I want to give you the last word. You know this, this program is about helping listeners across the globe create more meaningful lives of passion inspiration and purpose. Say in about a minute or so, what would you like to leave our listeners with?
2: Well, I really want you to know that in this time, if you're feeling anxious, you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed, this is the time for you to up-level yourself. That people have always said, oh, these are the soft skills. Oh, they can't be measured. You know what? They can call them whatever they'd like to call them. These, the experience of you navigating yourself is the core of how you're going to elevate in the world and get more of what you want. So there are practical, powerful tools to unravel these mysterious experiences You know that people haven't, until now, felt like they could measure accurately. Well, I want you to know they're driving everything. And so I am just so honored uh, that you were willing to spend your time and energy learning about yourself. It gives me hope for the world Um, and that there, I, the book Talk Rx is great. I also have many free uh, YouTube videos on, on these subjects and uh, you know, you can go to drneha.com and you can get a bunch of free resources and videos of live coaching on each of these topics. So yeah, that's really what I'd tell them, that there's help out there, and if they're interested or they're feeling overwhelmed, they're not alone. This is a time where we're all on a roller coaster, and we all get to co-create the world that we are going to live in, but we have to start with ourselves. We have to start with ourselves and elevate our own consciousness and ability to communicate.
1: What a beautiful way to finish, Dr. Neha. You are such a gift to the world, and I'm so grateful that you crossed paths with me, and I got to share with my listeners. Thank you.
2: Oh, you are so welcome,
1: listeners. As you heard her say, if you want to learn more about Dr. Neha Sangwan, her book, her videos, her she's got various tools on her website. That website again is Dr. Neha, so it's Doctor D O C T O R N E H A dot com. Doctor Neha dot com. Go there and check that out. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a re- re- recorded podcast. We were on the air with Marcus Buckingham talking about his book, Nine Lies About Work, and how we can all create a future workplace that brings out our unique best. Next week, we'll be on the air with Ray White, author of Connecting Happiness and Success and creator of the Joyages app. See you there. Remember that work's at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. Music.